0: There was somebody that posted in an independent adjuster group. They said, Hey, just curious about your different TPA relationships.
1: Uh oh. David just said the PPP word TPA relationships. We're probably going to offend some people. Oh, no. Talking about program work, third party administrators, and preferred vendor. The PPP word. TPA relationships. Program work. Hi, everybody out there at Dojo Nation. As a contractor, every day is a fight for survival. Oh. What
0: the hell are we doing
1: here, Harry? Dojo is the do your own job dojo. Sweep the Curated by John Isaacson. Contractor, guy, inspect your home. Offer, there's nothing like it out there. A mediocre podcast host,
0: nicely done on keeping it together. The,
1: the Diojo okay. podcast it should be listening to you, helping contractors shorten their dang learning curve.
0: Only here on the Diojo podcast, folks. The Adventure the podcast.
1: I'm assuming most listeners recognize that voice by now. Just curious. David Princeton, Advocate Claim Service, talking about, how did he phrase it? TPA relationships. While the majority of our audience is contractors who specialize in the restoration field, uh, which typically means working with insurance companies, I know there's a lot of contractors that have questions about this topic. Just curious. Or wonder why the heck anybody would do it. So first... Let's try to define what is the PPP word program work. For those new to the industry, it may seem like this is a world that never existed. I started in 2002 and it was fairly common that you would go to a lost site at a home or a business. Guy inspect your home? You would actually meet with the adjuster, physically walk the site. We talk about... Captive adjusters versus independent. There's a pretty good breakdown of this in our first book, Be Intentional Estimating. There's nothing like it out there. A captive meaning they work directly for X carrier versus an independent adjuster, which is someone the carrier may send out, say they don't have enough resources in a certain area or maybe they've got too many claims. So they hire an independent adjusting firm to send a license adjuster out to the site. You, representing the insurance company, went to the policyholder's house. You viewed the damage yourself. You wrote a scope of the damages and estimated the damages. And then you send it in. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So either way, you're either walking the site with a captive or an independent adjuster, or somebody that has an adjuster's license, some level of experience with claims, you look at the damages or what your readings are, depending on where you're at in the, um, you know, life cycle of the loss. Say, this is what our approach is. This is why we think we need to do this, this, and this. Maybe we haven't opened this area yet, but worst case scenario, we're thinking it might be over here or we might have to pull that ceiling, waiting for results on the asbestos testing over here, that kind of thing. If this hardwood floor or this tile doesn't dry, we may need to bring in specialty drying systems. Talk through. Through, you know our approach you're talking to a physical person they're talking directly to the customer and you have the triangle there right like physically on site the tr- the restoration triangle is there
0: any classic loss is going to at least involve three people
1: is he about to say it
0: three people three people
1: the restoration three people tr- tr- triangle
0: three people you're going to have the policy holder the one who suffered the loss tr- 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 you're going to have a contractor, the person that's going to fix it, tr- 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 and you're going to have an insurance company and their adjuster. The restoration. Three people. Tr- tr- triangle. So, at a minimum, those are the three. Those are the three people that have to be involved in it.
1: We call it the restoration triangle.
0: The restoration triangle.
1: The restoration. The three people. Tr- tr- triangle. Beautiful yeah. term. I like that. Great story, compelling and rich. Thank you for tuning in to the, the Dojo Podcast. Diojo. So that next level is maybe moving into a preferred vendor program where the carrier says, we've worked with these contractors before, we've vetted them, they've done background checks. There's a level of familiarity with the processes so they understand maybe better how we like to see the estimates presented so that we can understand the information and what our standards are. Our SLAs or service level agreements, those are important. Those can be directly with the carrier, or you start to see some of the third-party administrators. TPA relationships. Said the third the program work. And in this article from friend of the show, friend of the industry, Patty Harmon at Property Casualty 360, this was back in 2015, titled, Here's Why TPAs Matter to the Insurance Industry, She was interviewing Mark Bernstein, who was vice president and director of national accounts at Carl Warren Company. And he said the industry has changed dramatically over the last three to five years. Again, this is in 2015. Starting with the economic setbacks the country endured, referring to the recession back in 08-09.
0: So what happened? He lost it!
1: Many companies were required to change their corporate structure and combine roles. It's funny, people say our industry is recession-proof.
0: When the recession hit and we were in the program, we stayed steady.
1: This is obviously a promo piece from one of the TPA programs in our industry, but it shares how some contractors view it as a part of their business.
0: I have a zero dollar marketing budget, which is nice, the work just comes to me.
1: Talk to contractors who were in business during the recession and maybe they made it out or made it through. I doubt many of them were feeling recession-proof at the time.
0: Those are some horrible stories.
1: Maybe it was work still coming in, but it was a lot tighter. You had to do a lot more with a lot less in regards to resources and people. It changed the nature of the way we do contracting and it obviously impacted the way insurance companies, you know, pessimistically you're looking at it and saying it's a way for them to get rid of those in-house adjusters or optimistically saying, Hey, we're struggling to hire adjusters, so we're using this resource. Because contractors can be preferred vendors, third party administrator partners. Said the, the, the P word, do program work, TPA relationships. But so do many independent adjusters. That's where a lot of them get their work. And a lot of times, when there's a national catastrophe, you know, those are funneled through those third party administrators just due to the volume of claims. <laughs> We want to thank our sponsor. I will not bow to any sponsor. We've got the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, a.k.a. the IICRC. Most of you know about the training available through the IICRC and the standards, but you may not be aware there are several standards up for review currently that you can review them and input on whether you think they best reflect the industry consensus. Visit iicrc.org today. We also have David Princeton with Advocate Claim Service. He has a monthly column in Cleaning and Restoration Magazine, CNR. Dear David, if I wanna take the anxiety out of my claim, who should I call? Advocate Claim Service. And the Restoration Industry Association, April twenty fourth through twenty sixth in Orlando, Florida, is Restoration Beautiful, the International Restoration Convention and Industry Expo.
0: Focus on making sure our restoration contractors are going to get something out of this. We want to make sure you're walking out the door with something.
1: Thank you to our sponsors. Please let them know that you heard about them on the Dojo Podcast. You have
0: entered the Dojo Podcast. <laughs>
1: What many contractors aren't a fan of is now there's an entity with unlicensed personnel complicating the claim, more hands in the pot. And again, pessimistically from the contractor, especially with certain programs, it's the carriers not actually saving any money. They're paying the same amount of money now to two parties. Instead of just to the contractor, they're paying less to the contractor plus this fee to the TPA who's saving them money you know, reviewing their estimates, telling them what is and isn't covered. Guidelines. Some of that is negligence on the part of the contractor to not fully understand what's in those service level agreements. So what is a service level agreement? These are things, whether you're on program work or not, that are good things to do. So the event is acknowledged a claim. If it's an emergency services, 15 minutes of receipt of assignment. If it's a standard assignment, same business day contact with the insured emergencies 30 minutes of receipt of assignment if it's a standard assignment 1 hour from receipt of assignment so on emergency services visit them within 2 hours of receipt if it's standard assignment they want you to try to inspect it within 24 hours so in program work they might call them service level agreements or compliance guidelines internally even if you don't do program work you should have your SOPs and expectations that you articulate train and measure because if you aren't clear, you aren't consistent, and you don't hold your team accountable, bad things can happen.
0: You're diving into a case that's RJ Construction versus Arlington Indep- Independent School District. An Arlington construction company says it worked around the clock last February to clean up a flooded school. Months later, it says it has yet to be paid.
1: You have entered the DLJ podcast. The ASD says... uh you know, they would pay more, they need more documentation, and it appears they asked for that early on. In order to know if you are actually drying, you need to know what your environmental conditions are. You need to know what your moisture concentration levels are. These are things that we monitor daily. Because one of the news clips is like, It's asked for documentation that RJ says doesn't exist. Doesn't exist doesn't exist bro <laughs> these are things that we monitor daily 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 the DOJO podcast we are helping contractors shorten their dang learning curve so those service level agreements, those were from a fairly popular program within the property restoration industry, one that funnels a lot of work from some major carriers to contractors. Said the, the, the P word. So if you signed up for the program and you weren't aware of the parameters for success.
0: Educate yourself, you fool.
1: Whose fault is that? The evil carrier? Kill the contractor's profits. That's what we're trying to do. The evil TPA, raining down rules that can't be followed by anyone, complete hogwash, or is it your failure to understand and train your team to achieve those metrics? Oh yeah, poof, just uh, sprinkle a little of this fairy dust, put a little of that fairy dust in together, rub some stones in it, recharge them in the power of the moon, and boom, okay. Interestingly, it's not just contractors who complain about some of the shenanigans that go on with carriers and these third-party administrators guidelines it can also be independent adjusters such as is evidenced in this class action lawsuit you wrote a scope of the damages and estimated the damages and then you send it in and then they changed your scope to represent the insurance company's guidelines guidelines and that scope that they represent they left your name on it is that correct yes sir say what There's a comment by Paul Gross. This is in 2011 in CNR Magazine, Bridging the Gap. Insurance companies can be a great source of stable, recession-resistant referrals, but like any other customers, they have a right to expect value for their dollar. Companies focused on delivering this value will benefit from sustainable, repeat business that supports their organizations over the long term. I have a $0 marketing budget, which is nice. The work just comes to me. Not wrong, right? Again, work coming in, understand and follow the standards and present the information in the way that the company wants them. There's almost zero chance you can be taken advantage of. Care- this is Paul Gross again, Code Blue. Carriers deserve the best value for their money. It's in your financial interest as the contractor to deliver that value, not because you have to, but because you want to build the strongest company in your market. The,
0: the wannabes, I, I want to say, you know, people with, with good intentions but bad results.
1: I have found that every carrier wants to pay what it owes. No more, no less. I've never met an insurance Executive who wanted to deprive a customer of any legitimate remedy. I respectfully submit that it is in the contractor's interest to mitigate insurance losses in the most cost effective manner possible and share the carrier's goals.
0: If it sounds too good to be true, it is.
1: I don't necessarily disagree that you could probably talk to the execs, the people at the very top of any program, any insurance company. You know it'd be the same as talking to the execs at any contractor what they say is the company line you know and maybe even I'm not personally aware of any instance in which X has happened even though there's litigation that would speak otherwise and on the ground what's happening claims reviewers the program reviewers and the contractors there's you know people who don't play fairly on all sides And if you're thinking about the restoration triangle, triangle. the carrier, the contractor, and the consumer, the policyholder, there's plenty of homeowners, policyholders, consumers that don't play according to the rules either. Complicating the claim. And a lot of times it's the contractor and the insurance company going back and forth. And it's a problem in our industry. We've allowed the customer to kind of excuse themselves from the conversation Mm -hmm. unless it really gets bad. Wrong, wrong, sir. That's what a lot of consumers want. And there's literally, when I started in the industry, that was kind of our pitch. You pay your deductible. You won't pay a cent more. You just sit back. We're going to take care of everything. Wrong. There's some obligation on the consumer side. If somebody bought Walmart insurance, they're going to get a Walmart replacement product. You get nothing if you had cheapest insurance cheapest flooring you lose that's their obligation you're not getting an upgrade good day sir it's important for the contractor to understand their responsibility to present the information accurately uh, for the carrier to interpret the policy accurately and the um, policyholder they insured to do the best they can to educate themselves and say well wait a minute that's not was it what was explained to me maybe get their agents involved um, and if it's really not making sense then they might have to escalate that further the restoration three people truck tr- triangle beautiful yeah. term I like that
0: Restoring kindness was founded um, by AJ property restoration in Madison Wisconsin 2017. It just became a really cool way for the industry as a whole to band together and do these random acts of kindness throughout communities. If you're lacking in ideas, you can go on the Restoring Kindness website, which is restoringkindnessusa.com or follow any of our socials. This is one of the best ways that you can market without marketing, right? Like you're building such great brand recognition and showing that your company really, really cares. And people care about the heart of a company.
1: Michelle. Thank you for you know bringing the restoring kindness. If you aren't subscribed to CNR, it's free to get it in print and in your inbox. Looking forward to seeing you in April at yeah, the REA convention. Welcome. Even restoration contractors that like to get on their moral high horse. A moral high horse is where you ascribe some level of morality to a business decision. Wrong, sir. Um, that I would argue is not related to right or wrong, but it's more your opinion. People will put fire chasing in this category. I actually wrote an article about this in CNR Magazine, did a video on this industry high horses fire chasing. A lot of contractors will also put program work in this same category. You done messed up, A.A. Ron! Shouldn't do it. Never do it. Don't do it. It's wrong. What's interesting, and I think lacks historical perspective, is I would argue the first programs— were fire departments, go back and research the history of how that came about before it was a public service. If a fire department were to put their shield, that means you were protected by that department your building was. And the reason they would protect your building is so they could claim the, the check from the insurance company for salvaging the value of the building. So before you get too up in arms about preferred vendor programs, the PPP word program work, third-party administrator. TPA relationships. The first program insurance vendors and the first fire chasers, you might say, were fire departments. I'm not trying to say one way or other that's right or wrong. There are things in those realms that are wrong, uh, and we hinted at with the class action lawsuit. And then they changed your scope to represent the insurance company's guidelines. Guidelines, when there are arbitrary rules. These are not agreed-upon principles or facts of the policy, but some of these arbitrary rules. And to be clear, arbitrary means you're just pulling it out of your hat. It's not based in fact. It's not based in the, is the structure speaking for itself? Is the policy speaking for itself? Are all parties trying to speak to the truth of the scenario rather than, well, we've never approved that before, or I've always got that approved in the past? (laughs) Wrong! and these circular reasoning.
0: It's hard as an independent, we don't really have any control over what we adjust.
1: An independent adjuster reached out to the DOJO podcast. We've distorted the voice to protect uh, the innocent. Otherwise, if we we write anything outside of the box, it will be rejected. So we're trained
0: to write inside the box, and when they change the box, we're forced to um,
1: write stuff that we may not agree with or stuff that's traditionally been covered, right? By post policies. Exactly.
0: There was somebody that posted in an independent adjuster group. For example, when you join XYZ, you agree to come in under the default price list by a certain percentage. This sucks. The lower you come in under, the more they pay you for your adjusting fee. The wannabes. Plus, they're gonna take a cut between eight to 12% off the top. (gasps) Oh! Oh, for mitigation, when you write an estimate, um, you ensure that you're only charging for what are only charging for what was approved. So, meaning you you go out to write your mitigation estimate, you send it back to them. They approve, like they modify what you saw in the field. They modify what you saw in the field. They modify what you saw in the field to what the so whatever their parameters are. And send it back up. Great, Odin's Raven. The reviewer will reach out to us directly, ask us to make changes, and we can discuss if the changes are necessary or not. So I went into the claim, and this claim was a this particular claim was a tile roof uh, with substantial damage to it. Therefore, I estimated to replace the entire uh, roof. However, the the collaboration that the the reviewer changed the estimate to reflect replacing 499 tiles which i thought was really unusual and then they're like you know just curious what else you're seeing and then they list a bunch of other tpas uh that say like you know these are three other tpas that you know i've also done work with that have followed the same model
1: This sounds like a contractor trying to bait adjusters to admit to something.
0: (laughs) Well, so so I don't I don't know, but all I can say is is that the comments underneath that post
1: all agreed with it. You serious? Great story, compelling and rich. Thank you for tuning in to the Diojo podcast. We hope you were informed. Yeah, so I've learned something here. And entertained. Why are you not entertained? dyjo.com forward slash podcast. You can buy John a beer, you can support the show, or you can buy one of the books I've written, the last one being How to Suck Less at Estimating. What am I supposed to do? And you can find them on Amazon. There's nothing like it out there.
0: If you want things to ch- change, there's a couple mechanisms for it. You can legislate it. Tired of hearing about your damn emails. Or you can get it in a courtroom. Ch- change. Right here on the Dojo podcast, folks. Yeah, the Adventure Dojo podcast. The carrier is always in the position of deciding what becomes case law. Because if they don't like the facts, they can settle it.
1: And we give it back to you, the people.
0: And then it disappears. Wait people out, right? Yep. And if they do like the facts and they lose, they can appeal it. And if they lose at the appeal and they still like the facts and they still think they got a chance and it still aligns with their interests to make it whatever it's going to be, i.e. Washington become a non-matching state. Non-matching state. They can push it, you know, for a request uh, up to the Supreme Court. (laughs) of that state or um through the federal courts there's there's one other thing insurance companies can do they they can work on the legislative slot side they can litigate but they say it's a coverage issue and and they don't think it's covered and the insured does and they litigate all the way as far as they can go and they still lose they can always go change the contract language and make right. it so that it's it's clearly not covered under their policy. So they they really can't lose can't lose one way or the other. It it may be very expensive finally sure resolve the issue in their favor, but they they can do that.
1: Things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. Well, thanks for that tidbit of sunshine, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: This sucks. Change on the policyholder side. I'm not aware of anything that advances the interest of the policyholder more than United Policyholders does, so uphelp.org. Hi,
1: everybody out there, it's your donation. As a contractor, every day is a fight for survival. I'm
0: not aware of anybody out in the world that is strategically finding facts of cases to advance a larger policyholder-centric interest. There's, I like, I have not found that machine. <laughs> I'm aware of it on the carrier side. See it work every day. I'm not aware of it on the policyholder side. It, as much as UP does, as much as United Policyholder does, I don't see enough contractors supporting it. I don't see enough public adjusters supporting it.
1: Oh. What the hell are we doing here, Harry?
0: The amount of contractors that depend on favorable laws, favorable legislation. Dang, Billy the industry needs is conversations like this. Thursdays are four.
1: The Ojo Podcast. What are you, stupid? My, mind, mindset change. Helping contractors shorten their dang, dang, dang learning curve. Once you get to the point where you're not willing to listen or not willing to learn, we pound sand. The Ojo Podcast. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> complete hogwash.